0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, September the 8th, 2022. As always, I'm talking to you from San Francisco, California, perched on the western edge, the western coast of the United States, a complicated country that drives many of us mad but also inspires many of us. We've done a number of shows about what it means to be an immigrant to this country, the United States, in the 2020s. Last week, I did a particularly interesting uh, show with... It wasn't because of me, it was because of him, Uh, Javier Zamora, uh, a a young man who came from uh, El Salvador alone to the United States. He has a major new memoir out called Salito. And in our conversation, um, which I thought was really interesting, very honest on his part, he was ambivalent on the idea of the American dream. I'm not sure if he actually believed it anymore. In some ways, of course, it wasn't his choice. He was he was, not given the choice about whether or not he was going to come to America. His parents just packed him off. This idea of the American dream uh, was also something that I talked to uh, earlier this year with another young... Um, latino writer julissa arce Uh, she has a new book out you sound like a white girl the case for rejecting assimilation i think for julissa uh the idea of the american dream of assimilation is something that she uh rejected in a polemical sense and then um in july of this year had another wonderful conversation with erica sanchez another child of immigrants, of Hispanic immigrants to the United States. She has a a book out, Crying in the Bathroom, another memoir about what it's like to go and live in Chicago um, as somebody who was risk-taking and rebellious, uh, who stood up to her own family or her own tradition. And in some ways, like Julissa Arce, I think, and indeed uh, uh, Zamora is very ambivalent about the idea of an American dream and what it means to be somebody of a different color, different sexuality in America today. We're continuing that story with my guest uh, today, Michael Sayman, another child of immigrants, another man who uh, uh, is uh, challenging many uh, American assumptions, um, gay young man, uh, and he has a new memoir out like the other people who have been on the show app kid how a child of immigrants grabbed a piece of the american dream i think in contrast with some of my other guests michael might be a little bit more uh, optimistic about the uh, continued existence of the american dream but i think he can talk for himself he is joining us michael saman from new york he lives in miami but he's in New York to do some brainstorming for his next venture. Michael is also, uh, you can probably guess it from the title of his book. Um, he is quite literally an app kid. He's made a name for himself uh, as an app developer and he's considered one of the best known young app developers in Silicon Valley. Um, uh, Michael, welcome, enough uh, enough words from me. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me on the program. Um, uh yeah definitely uh like you said an app kid in that sense right um have been building apps since i was a kid uh since i was 12 years old um i've been shipping and publishing different um you know apps in the form of games and uh reference guides and so much more uh on the app store uh for the iphone for apple devices and other software tools so uh it's been my whole world and to be honest uh it, i i kind of knew that that would happen the moment the iphone launched um now it's almost how many years almost like what 15 years ago um yeah so within,
0: uh yeah years. it was probably what 2007 the iphone yes. norm- it just came out last week or actually earlier this week with a another version the uh, the iphone 14 so it's into its yes. 14th uh, annual uh, iteration um Coming back to your story, Michael, which is pretty amazing. Um, Your parents came from Peru and in 2010, they lost their jobs, both of them, uh, and um, they had to foreclose on their home. And then you began to look after the family. When did you discover that you had these skills that would allow you, even as a, a young teenager, to be able to look after your family? I think I I always
1: knew that, like, the internet
0: was a way for me to be able to build
1: products. I I think, like, a lot of kids, though, growing up in in this generation, um, use the internet, and they kind of understand how it works um, to a degree that maybe prior generations didn't because they didn't grow up with it, right? So for me, uh, just kind of going on the internet, uh, looking up how to make websites, how to make apps, how to make stuff like that. Um, didn't seem that strange to me. Like, it just seemed like something any other kid would do. How old um,
0: were you when you, I mean, you couldn't, you, you say you always knew you wanted to be an app kid. But I mean, from what age? Seven, eight? So, well, the iPhone didn't come out until I was
1: 10. So before then, all I knew was that I wanted to go on the computer to uh, play online games or to make websites uh, for the games that I liked. Um, so I really liked making websites at the time. Um, but maybe I was like six, seven years old when um, I started using the computer all day, uh, every day, uh, to try and create stuff. Um, and of I just debate, thought of was great.
0: Michael, as you know, amongst parents, uh, and I don't think you have any kids, but for those of us who do have kids, about at what age we should let our kids use the internet, go online uh most people worry about that because of the pornography because of the different kinds of corruption and rottenness about the online world but you're of course a positive model you're you're the proof of why you should let your six-year-old go online and become an app developer yeah i i I do i do think that there is pros and cons
1: to it right like you were saying there's a lot of challenges with the internet um and the you know parental controls that are or aren't available um uh it's concerning right it's scary because there's not a lot of um I guess, uh, constraint to the internet in some ways. Um, I do think that, like, as a kid, though, I had a natural tendency to, like, just lean into um, the types of stuff that let me be more creative. Um, I was a very innocent kid, so I would just go on to, like, try and make stuff out of nothing whether it was where
0: where exactly did you grow up where were you when you were 10 in miami so i was
1: i was in miami florida yeah and my parents um well the problem with my parents really in in that sense was they didn't speak a lot of english so they couldn't like (laughs) they couldn't really tell me what was good or bad about the internet because they didn't really know uh they just (laughs) knew that it was a device that let me kind of play on the and what did your
0: parents do? What, 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 job did your, did your parent, what jobs did your parents lose to cause this first crisis?
1: Yeah, so um, they kind of had all kinds of jobs. My, my mom tried, uh, at one point she was trying to sell jewelry. That didn't really work out. Then <laughs> like, she tried to do like valet parking. That didn't really work out. Uh, finally though, my parents um, decided to do like, to make a small business, like a chicken restaurant, um, like a small chicken restaurant in Miami. Uh, for Peruvian uh, like native Peruvian food Um, because they're from Peru and that's the food they know and all of that so they used like a recipe from their family to try and make that restaurant Um, and that was kind of what was holding the family up for I guess most of my childhood until I got to the age of 11 or 10 the recession hit and then the whole business kind of fell apart Um, but since the beginning my parents didn't really know how to use the American financial system which is kind of uh uh, very different from the south american system where they encourage i guess in the u.s really uh spending before having money to spend uh which is just something that you know uh that's you got to be very careful with so i think over the years um i started to realize that my parents didn't fully understand how it worked in the u.s and i had to figure out how to do it myself
0: um michael we did a show um a few weeks ago uh, on Peru, uh, actually, with a journalist professor in New York, Graciela Moszkowski, a book about called The Prophet of the Andes, An Unlikely Journey to the Promised lands about a Jewish convert in the mountains of Peru. Um, very different, of course, from your parents, and this convert ended up in Israel. Why did your parents come to the United States? Were they economic migrants? Were they cultural migrants? Well, for the most part, at least as I understand it, they've always told me that
1: the reason they came to the US was because, well, my mom wanted to escape, (laughs) my mom wanted to escape her whole family. So she was like, I need to get out, I need to go do something big, I got to go and you know, like start my own business, start my own uh, world and and not have to be constrained by her family. Um, My dad in a similar way actually uh, ended up kind of leaving his family. Um, as well to the United States to pursue his dream. He wanted to, like, learn how to do um, video editing, and his family didn't approve of that. So he was like, well, I'm going to go do it. So he went and he just left. Um, and both of them, I think, in their own journeys to the U.S., kind of looked at America as, like, an opportunity to start fresh. A lot of people, I think, in Peru, a, a lot of people in my own family still in Peru um, who are younger, cousins of mine, et cetera, like, they they kind of look at the U.S. as, like, an opportunity to do something that um you know something different with their life something fresh and new um and and i think that motivated them uh to really kind of take the leap and go to the to the united states and for me like growing up in the us with my sister not knowing like all the stuff that most american families know um as they grow up there were a couple of challenges but it was also uniquely i don't even know how, like it's uniquely advantageous i guess to not know how it works, because we have this like innate drive to succeed, almost like a naive drive to succeed that like you don't find in families who have like a long history of being in the in the United States, right? Like uh, once you understand the system a little bit better and 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 so on, like that excitement uh, maybe kind of fades. Um, but at least for fresh new immigrants that are excited to start a new business and a new life here my parents certainly were excited about the opportunities that the country uh, was presenting to them, at least from the point of view of whatever marketing material they had seen before getting here.
0: Your parents obviously experienced a number of quite dramatic ups and downs, losing businesses and jobs. Did that sour them on the American dream or have they always been believers? I mean, clearly you're a manifestation of a certain kind of American dream that most people don't realize. But what is your parents' attitude to America American now? What do they do? Well, my parents, well, my dad doesn't
1: work anymore. Um, And so I kind of help him out uh, at this point. Um, And then my mom, she works at a furniture store and she like does sales for them. She's always been good at that. So it's kind of her natural element and she likes it. But it's always, it's always been something where it's like, it's interesting it's like the same mentality with the lottery i would say my parents have so i'll tell my mom i'll be like don't play the lottery like why are you gonna waste your money on that like just put it in savings it's better like in the long term like you're not gonna win the lottery anyway so what's the point Um, but my mom always had this hope right she's like well you never know so i might as well do it right and so her i guess the way her logic worked was very different from mine but that that logic right of like oh i might as well play i might win um, was the mindset that she had, I guess, when coming to the country, and it still is. And it, and it very much is the case, I think, like, throughout all the struggles that the family had um, and, you know, in getting evicted and, and so on in our, in our you know, financial situation at home when I was a kid, like, they still persevered, um, mostly because they felt like there would always be a way to get out of, it, of that situation. There would always be a way to grow from it. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of how they... I guess that's kind of how they sound. But saw. you could say that, the
0: same about I mean, if, if you'd have told as a 10-year-old, I'm going to be a famous app developer, I'm going to have my photo taken with Mark Zuckerberg, I'm going to work <laughs> with Google and Facebook by the time I'm 25, people would think you were crazy. So there's something of your mother in you too. Oh, definitely.
1: Like, there's no there's no denying it. I use the example of the lottery because that's the one where I feel, like, morally superior. But the reality of it is just that I have a lot of that same feeling that she does, the same entrepreneurial, like, let me just go after it type of mentality. Um, I, I would say, though, that, like, when it comes to uh, how I ended up uh, developing this stuff or how I ended up growing into... Um, I guess working at these companies, I definitely never thought to myself that I would ultimately go and work here um, while I was doing it. I, I almost kind of focused more on what I wanted to build and then the rest of it kind of fell into place. Like I, I didn't I didn't sit one day, uh, you know, in my house thinking I'm gonna like go work at Facebook. If anything, I, I never thought I, I would ever be able to. I just didn't think it was real. Like I was like, there's no way, like that's like, like legit like Facebook is like a legit company and I'm I'm like just a kid so I'm just gonna make the apps that I love was what I would tell myself right and and that's kind of how I focused um, everything that I did was just focusing on doing what I loved and as I started to do that more and more financial pressures came around I had to just do it to survive I had to literally be making apps that would generate revenue in order to make sure that my parents had enough to pay for the bills and if I didn't do that maybe would have to go back to Peru or or who knows. Um, so that fear I had of losing what little you know, we had at that moment was what really drove me to making the types of apps that I did. And then ultimately going to work at these companies. I just got lucky, like in some ways, right. But I but I think it's a, it's a special type of luck, I like to say, right, where yes, um, you have to be at the right time and place. But also, you have to have like this ridiculous determination that you're gonna succeed in what you're doing you have to have a little bit of a survival mode instinct hmm. to, to building what you're building um and and only then was i able to achieve barely the enough to just make it into the next like hmm. leap of success in my so career we've
0: done and shows on it. how uh, by business rise right, about how you make your own luck how did this changed your relationship with your parents when you were 10 or 11 and you started to become the, the major breadwinner in the family. Did it in a way make you like a parent? Did it change (laughs) the, the power relations? Were they able to tell you when to go to bed and when to brush your teeth and what to wear? It was, it was pretty
1: bad. I'm not going to lie. I don't, recommend uh, family structures to be set up in the way that mine were uh, in that sense, Um, it it was pretty tough, especially because as a kid, I don't know nearly anything about how the world works. And at the same time, though, I have this kind of almost like financial power over the family, um, whether I wanted to or not, it was the reality of my situation. So my parents would try and make financial decisions that then I would go off on my own end.
0: So how did you make the money as an 11 year old were you doing it legally what were you doing selling services online
1: no i was selling apps on the app store but because i and was that
0: legal app. i assume it wasn't for an 11 year old to sell apps on the, the app store no I,
1: I, the way it worked at the time was actually kind of funny um apple uh set up developer accounts where you basically just register as an individual or register as a company i didn't have a company so i was like all right register as individual um registered as with my dad and my mom Uh, they ended up registering put all their bank information in there then I was the one building the apps and publishing them so all of the money went into my parents bank accounts Um, and so yes to an extent they had the control over the money but the challenge with it was I was the one making the apps if I chose to stop making an app or stop publishing one then the money would run out so in a sense even though they had the control over the money um like literally legally right um i had the i guess control over the income uh of the family at a point in time and so i was involved in conversations that i definitely should not have been around how money should have been spent and so on but at the same time you know nobody picks the life that they have and my parents for better or worse didn't have all the tools at their disposal to figure out how to Deal with some of the financial strug- struggles that they had. And so, in many ways, I, I think like the three of us kind of just started figuring things out together um, to see how we could, you know, um, keep going, right? Uh, when we lost everything.
0: Uh, we did a show last year with the Iranian, uh, American Iranian uh, woman, Roya Hakakian, about. Um, Again, uh, Immigration to America, uh, she she has a book out, um, A Beginner's Guide to America uh, for the Immigrant and the Curious. I know your book isn't really an, uh, A Beginner's Guide to America, but what would you tell young, Im- young immigrants, perhaps like Javier Zamora or Julissa Ar- Arce or Erica Sanchez about coming to America? Well, I guess the first thing I would say about america in
1: general in the united states is like there's pros and cons to the structure here but there's little pockets of opportunity that have just arrived like arisen recently i think um in particular when it comes to the internet and software um if i look at like different countries and what they export um and how things are changing over the past like 50 years i would say that software as an export services online services um is probably going to be one of the largest um ways of exporting you know impact to the world um and that's kind of what's being measured today a lot of the largest companies in the world used to be physical companies right walmart used to be huge Uh, but now we have companies that don't have a physical presence at all becoming some of the largest um you know in the entire world so as that shift is happening to the virtual and borders kind of start blending a little bit more Um, especially with the rise of the internet and the rise of like social media apps, Um, I kind of look at the opportunity more so on in the virtual space, not so much in a territorial way. Um, I do think that there's opportunity in the United States in particular because the internet is faster than in other countries, infrastructure is set up well, and the market is just so saturated with um, smartphone devices from every corner of the country that building a product in terms of software there immediately has like some type of audience that will be receptive to what you're creating. Um, but that being said, that'll change over the years. Um, what I do love about the internet in particular, and the opportunity, I think that, you know, you uniquely have by using it to create products is that it doesn't matter where you're from or where you are or how much money you have or whatever. Um, if you make a good product, people will use it. Like if you, like, if you make a good product, that's it. And and what's interesting is like, there is no, there is no way to force it. Like if I've made a hundred apps, um, of the a hundred apps plus that I've made in my life, most of them haven't succeeded. And I could have done anything. I could have poured a bunch of money into advertisement. I could have done all kinds of stuff to try and make it a reality and make those apps work. But the truth is, they weren't good. So because people didn't like them or use them, it just didn't grow. Um, so which is the a-
0: app that you're most yeah. proud of? I know you 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 were one of the people behind uh, instagram stories now you're working on a yep. new app which is um focused on uh on a sort of an independent app uh, uh called friendly apps which is designed i guess as a as a way of humanizing technology what app are you most proud of in your in your in your life michael i guess i would say like it's not any one
1: particular app. I would say it's over the course of all the different products that I had that I've worked on in my career. Um, the ones that I'm most proud of um, tend to be the aspects of the products that I build that are focused on making people's lives better. I just because at the end of the day, like the money stuff, like the industry is so saturated and so, I guess, massive that if you make any app that is remotely popular. The financial situation will be fine. And for me, like all I care about is having enough money to have like a stable house and food and whatever. So as long as I had that minimum, I was fine. Um, Which meant to me that like making absorbent amounts of money just didn't matter. Um, And I just frankly didn't care about that. So um, what's the actual fulfilling thing for me is building products that are um, impactful in people's lives. Uh, When I was working on stories at Instagram, I remember there was a big debate around how we create filters. Um, Do we have face filters? Do we not? Um, How do we uh, make those uh, filters work? And it was contentious because, um, you know, the CEO of Instagram at the time, Kevin Systrom, he didn't want stories to exist. He didn't want that product on Instagram. Um, And I was like a huge advocate for the product, mostly because I felt like it would allow people to share more authentically. Um, There was a question and there were a couple design decisions that I didn't agree with at the end but overall i look back and i look at the decisions and the positions that i took within the company and trying to decide how the product should be built and then when i see people being able to share with each other the moments in their lives that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to share had they not had a product like this that's what makes me excited right um i made a a couple games when i was a kid that maybe spent four or five minutes of some stranger's day Uh, laughing or having fun with their friends because they were playing this silly game with their friends. And I could see that online. I could see their interaction um, using the game that I had built. It's not the crazy, like, you know, world-changing impact, but it was incredible to see that I can make something out of nothing. And all of a sudden, there's a huge impact in those people's lives. The other benefit, I think, just in general to all of this and what makes me so excited about the opportunities with the Internet is that it doesn't matter where somebody comes from Or the resources that they have at their disposal, besides a computer with internet, um, they can make the next best product, the next best thing that everybody else is using. Um, That to me, it just feels like it it breaks the barriers that used to exist for thousands of years, right? Like in the past, it it mattered who you were, it mattered who you were born into, uh, you know, like in in terms of the impact that you could have on society. Um, That's no longer the case.
0: Michael, um, a lot of people are listening to this and saying, well, that's all very well, but there are still a a very small number of Latino, Black, uh, African-American senior people in Silicon Valley. Um, We did a show on, uh, we've done a number of shows on uh, Latinos in America, one with Juan Gonzalez who's written perhaps the most influential of all books on it, Harvest of Empire, A History of Latinos in America. You're, of course, a Latino. Some of My research uh, suggested that you're the most powerful Latino in Silicon Valley, whatever (laughs) that means. And I'm not even sure if you're in Silicon Valley since you live in Miami and are talking to me from (laughs) New York. So I don't know what that means. But um, uh, so two questions on this. Firstly, do you feel like a Latino as the as the son of Peruvian immigrants? There aren't that many Peruvians in America. And secondly, and having grown up in Miami, a very diverse Hispanic town. Uh, and secondly, what is your view on still the the glass ceiling for peoples of different colors, ethnicities, and perhaps uh, sexualities in, in in Silicon Valley?
1: Yeah. Um. So yeah, I definitely feel it. You know, I mean, like all the music I listen to is in Spanish. I don't even listen to music in English. And then on top of that, it's like culturally, I just grew up in a Hispanic household. Like a lot of the things and common sayings that americans have from their childhood i just didn't have because my parents didn't teach me that so there's it's undeniable that the way that i am is very hispanic um i I can't stop myself from that right that is it's just ingrained
0: um uh, what does that mean uh, i mean uh, yeah give me an example of what that actually means yeah um i think
1: one example of it for example is like the way in which my friends and I will talk about certain things or the way in which we will relate to our families. Um, A lot of American culture in the past has been one where families are just kind of like left and like you just kind of leave the nest and never return, right? Like um, in, I don't know, like a lot of Americans I know uh, will go to college, they'll go study their stuff and then never see their family again. A lot of Latino culture involves being around the family Um, after uh, you go to school um, and staying there until either you get married or go uh, create your own family um, separately. And even then, you stay close to the family. Everyone kind of entrusts in each other um, and relies on each other. That type of familial uh, culture um, is so important to the Latino community. And at least for me and my family, that's definitely been the case. Um, It's not uncommon that most of my friends... Uh, will still be uh, with their families or living with their parents even after they graduated uh, from high school. Um, and it's it's kind of a celebrated thing uh, where families kind of look at that as like um, the way it should be in, in Latino culture, right? So that, that's that's one thing that I think is just an example of, I think the many things um, that separate or I think differentiate uh, Latino culture from maybe uh, some of the other cultures that have come before. Um, in the United States. Um, and I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that mixes with the rest of like, I guess the country's demographics as we start to see that shift. Um, right now, for example, like demographic changes in the country are just pointing to a a surge in Hispanics um, uh, you know, relative to every other group, um, ethnic group in the country. and seeing that change over the next 10 to fifty years is, it's just going to be interesting to see how
0: that... Yeah, a lot of talk um, about yeah. 2045 being the year where America is no longer a majority white country. Do you look yep. forward to that? Um, well, <laughs> I would
1: say it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird thing for me because I see it as like a statistics thing. So I don't, I'm not going to be one to say like, uh, what do you call it? Like, I don't get excited or like not excited depending on the shift, but more so I'm more curious about like, what is the impact that that's going to have in terms of tensions in the country, in terms of like, you know, like opportunities in the country for different people, um, especially as a country shifts, my hope would be that there would be more opportunities for different groups, especially groups who, as we know, like the history of this country has had um, disadvantaged for so long. So for me, I kind of see it that way. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Beyond that, it's, it's kind of like a, for me, it's more of like a, trying to see what opportunities there are to kind of adjust as we head in that direction. Um, In terms of the other question that you had regarding, like, how do we solve a lot of these issues? Like, there aren't a lot of Peruvians in the United States, but even more so, there's no Hispanics in, like, tech in general. Uh, When I was working at Facebook, there were four of us from Peru. Four. In a company of, like, 15,000 at the
0: time. That is astonishing. That is uh, shocking, isn't it? There were
1: four people that were Peruvian out of fifteen thousand people working at the company. So so we, we didn't have enough people to form like a group where we would meet. We just had a group chat, like on a messenger, and we would just chat. Um whereas other groups had like the you know massive hundred, two hundred uh plus people um, you know, as members. So so it was it was very interesting and very challenging because a lot of things, for example, workplace cultural things that I didn't know because I was a kid, but like Uh, workplace cultural things that you have differences in between cultures you just you had to assimilate to the majority um in terms of where i see this going though and how to solve it um it really gets down to the what happens when the kid is six or seven like if i would have started learning how to program today at 26 now um it would have taken me so much longer um to get to working at facebook or google than when I started learning how to do this stuff when I was like seven years old. Um, the fact that there's so many schools in the country that don't offer kids um, you know, computer science classes or don't teach them how to program or don't have any resources to really give the students the opportunity to even discover a potential interest in the space. That's really the problem. But, but the, the issue with solving that problem is that most politicians and most you know, people that work in that space they're not gonna benefit from solving it because the solution will come 20 years later when those kids grow up. And so for people who wanna have like an immediate outcome, right? For politicians who wanna be celebrated for their actions, they look away from solutions like this because those types of solutions aren't actually gonna bring them the type of numbers or figures or change that they ultimately want to see so that people think they're doing a good job. So I I kinda see that as the biggest challenge facing a lot of the education system Is like, we need to be treating it as an investment. If we want, you know, if we want there to be like 10 times the number of Latinos that there are, a hundred or a thousand times, given, you know, the rates that we see in some companies, um, I think we really got to just look at it that way because there's no other solution. Um, The alternative is to try and just bring more people into the company who aren't qualified to work um, in tech and to do so just to, like, increase the numbers or fudge them or make them look nice. But I think that just masks the problem that we have, which is our entire education system is skewed towards a historically, like, benefiting um, majority that is slowly shifting over time. And the reality being that, like, most people who don't have access to those educational systems that, you know, the privileged do in the United States are at a disadvantage from the start. And programming, just like every other type of skill, uh, like reading or writing, is something that will only benefit more and more if you learn it at a young age. If you're young and you learn that how to do that at that age, you have an outsized benefit than if you were to learn it later on in life. Um, and so really prioritizing it from the start, I think it's kind
0: of like the most important thing we can do. But again, uh, Michael, are you a a, 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 in some ways a model or are you just an exception? I mean, not only... Have you worked with Mark Zuckerberg and at Google and at Roblox, and now you have your own app startup, uh, friendly apps. But you've also written a book, a memoir about your life. Um, do you think you just sort of exceptionally smart for one reason or other? Were you just gifted by the gods? <laughs> oh, my God. Would I, I would love that. But no, I'm, I'm not
1: at all. I mean, if anything... A lot of things I'm very dumb at uh, so I don't know if it balances out or what the hell but um, <laughs> what I would say is more than anything else um, I don't look at my story as like a model to follow because there's a million things I've done in my career that I wish I would have done differently and I'm pretty sure when people read the book they see that like there's a lot of decisions that I made that they were like hmm I wouldn't have made that decision or I would have done it like this instead and rightfully so. I think that's kind of the whole point is like, people should be able to learn and improve from like prior, um, uh, you know, experiences. So for me, like the, the way I see that, I, I hate being called a role model in any case. I don't think that that's the way I would look at it. If anything, I would I would look at it as like, I'm just one example of many different examples of people who have done things a certain particular way and have had a certain type of outcome due to those actions and just use me as like one extra data point, one extra example of how things could go if someone does it a certain way, right? Um, And then just collect that along with other people who have different examples, and then use all of those examples to make decisions around what you want to do with your life. That's kind of how I treat it. I mean, it's overly analytical and nerdy, but like, that's just like, I don't know, my way.
0: Michael, you don't need me to tell you this, that there's a lot of hostility to the tech business these days. Mark Zuckerberg is not oh, yeah. the most popular man in the United States. And good. we just did a show on uh, YouTube, for example, warning us about the power of YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. You seem to have succeeded in humanizing uh, tech. Uh, the publisher's weekly review, you got a, a starred review, which is quite an achievement. And, um, I'm quoting from the review. Readers will be enthralled by the humanizing look at the tech world. Clearly from talking to you, there's something humanizing about you. Where does that come from? And and how can the tech business learn to be more human and put on a more human face and be more sympathetic? If I contrast you, say, with Mark Zuckerberg, with his severe haircut and his inability to laugh, there's a very vivid contrast. Yeah, I guess that's
1: a good point. Um, there's a lot of different people in the industry, and, and you're right. There's a lot of people in the tech industry that are very, you know, serious face. Like, they, they it's very kind of robotic. You know, there's a lot of people that kind of see uh, the tech industry in that way. And, and, you know, to be honest, there's a lot of people who just kind of embody that um, <laughs> when you see it. Um, for me, though, I guess the way I've always seen it is like, the tech is cool. Yes, we have this magical power that lets us create stuff out of nothing. But that's the computer. That's not me. Like, I'm not the one actually, like, making this, right? The, the computer has so many components. And I guess the way that I see it is I'm just kind of, like, using tech to try and make stuff that I think looks cool. But I have to remember that there are thousands of people at every step from the moment that the phone is assembled and the minerals that are used to make the phones, to um, the, the details in the design of the operating system, to every single person in manufacturing that works to ship those products, down to even the internet services and the repair services for all the infrastructure that exists for people to connect online. All of that stuff, without that, whatever app I make doesn't exist. So like, for me to take on a, a personality type or, or a, a world view that, puts me at some type of pedestal because I work in tech or because I work and make apps or whatever just feels kind of preposterous because it's the most flimsy industry. Like (laughs) we depend on like thousands of people and a bunch of moving parts and had those parts not been in place the way they were, none of what I would build exists. And I, I do think there needs to be more humanizing in the tech industry. I think people need to get off the high horse and realize that we're just writing lines of code. There's nothing special about what we're doing. And if anything, I actually think it kind of makes it like more opportunistic because a lot of people i guess see the tech industry as unattainable of in their careers um a lot of friends of mine will be like oh coding is not for me oh it's just you know this is just just out of my world it's just whatever um and and really kind of reminding people that it's not that it's not that hard um it's just the movies make it look that way or uh, the programming uh just looks more complicated than it is Um, We're just not taught it at a young age and um, and so anyway, I kind of see it like that for me I I think it's important to kind of yeah remind people that the tech is just one piece of it, but There are thousands of people actual people that uh, We depend on to making um, these apps a reality Um, and to ignore that or to have a persona that like puts me above that is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> Michael, last but not least, in 2018, uh, you came out as, as gay, uh, and you write about this in some detail in the book. I think it's another aspect of the humanizing quality of, of, of your work. How difficult was that within your family?
1: It was pretty tough. My parents, they didn't really like understand it. I mean, hell, I didn't understand it. So like, I didn't even know like, I didn't even know what I, was, what I was doing because I didn't understand how sexuality even worked. Um, I only, you know, like read whatever was in the news about it. Or I heard that gay marriage had become legalized in 2013 or so and, or 2015 or sometime around then. And I remember like seeing that and being like, oh, cool, but this can't be me. Is this me? I, I don't know. Am I this uh, or, or am I bisexual or am I not? And not knowing the terms, me not knowing pretty much any of that. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying to express to my parents at the time how I felt about things or what I was trying to do. If I wanted to go on a date with a girl, I tried to do that. If I didn't like it, I'd be like, okay, let me try and go on a date with a guy, tried to do that. And then, you know, when I enjoyed a date with a guy, I just told my parents that I enjoyed it, that it was fun. And um, my parents had a lot of questions. And I did, too. And it was kind of funny because my parents would come and ask me, they'd be like, wait a minute, does this mean that you're gay? And I would tell them, uh, I don't know, I, maybe, um, I, I don't think so. Um, and then they'd say, but why not? And I'd be like, well, because I don't, I don't fully understand it either. Um, and, and it was just kind of one of those things where we learned it together. Um, I kind of feel grateful, though, to be honest, that um, I had, you know, the luxury of having parents that were open-minded and that were at least willing to hear me out as I was trying to figure all of this out for myself. They sound
0: like I wish they were on this interview. Your parents sound remarkable. Would you think one of the reasons why they've been so open and such a friend to you is because of the fact that you were bringing the money in when you were 11 years old? That made them more open to you?
1: Definitely. Of course. I mean, the reality of it is and i tell this to other kids who are thinking about coming out to their parents if you're not in a situation where you feel safe to tell them about this stuff and in fear that they might do something or that you can't be around them or or you don't have a place to go or something like that then don't don't do it right like i'm all for coming out i'm all for being yourself but you got to be careful i was in a very stable situation independently Right. So when I decided to take the risk and tell my parents and fear that they might say something, I knew that in the worst of cases, I would be OK. If you don't feel that way about yourself, I wouldn't recommend taking that leap. Wait until you're an adult. Wait until you have that independence. Um, that to me, for example, was was part of the challenge. Um, and, and I feel grateful that I was able to do so. But if
0: someone's not in my situation,
1: I can't expect them to do the same.
0: Wise advice from a wise young man, Um, uh, Michael Samen, the author of App Kid, remarkable new book, remarkable story. Congratulations, Michael, on the book and on everything else. I don't think this will be the last we hear from you in lots of different ways. What else uh, do you read? I'm sure you're busy with all your apps and and the writing of your own memoir, but what other books do you like? Yes, so I've currently actually been reading this book called *Sapiens*. Um,
1: it's super nerdy, uh, but um, i it has been fascinating. Like, um, it's actually one of the hardest books to read recently for me, just because I, I think like the the pacing is very different from what I the used to
0: sapiens, read. *Sapiens*, uh, you mean the the Harari book? Yes,
1: um, and uh, my friends um, were telling, asking me like, where do I read it? Where is the place that I read this book? As I've been trying to like catch up on it, and I've been behind. Um, and I've been telling them that I do it while I'm on the treadmill, and they're like, "Wait a minute!" They tell me you're reading this book while you're on a treadmill. You're telling me you're hearing it, or what are you doing? And I'm like, "Yeah, like sometimes I'll do the scrolling where I read it. Other times I'll do the audiobook while I'm running." They're like, "That sounds like a torturous like book to audiobook read while you're on a treadmill." I'm like, well, you know what, like, it's fascinating to me, so it's the way I roll, so whatever. Um, But yeah, that's the book I'm currently reading. And it it talks a lot lot about, I think, the history of, like, how humans evolved, kind of the the domino effect of, um, I guess, like, environmental conditions that led to the way that we are and the behaviors that we have. For me, that's super fascinating. It always has been. That's kind of the part that I try to put into the products that I build. So... Every opportunity to read something for me is like an opportunity to to like learn something new. Um, And that's kind of the one that I'm most excited about right now.